Well, hello. Welcome to church. Hello. Woo. Woo. Welcome, uh, Victorville, Apple Valley, Feeling Hesperia, the interweb. Some of you are watching it there as well. Very glad to have you guys with us this weekend. We love to get you notes. Uh, so raise your hand and we'll bring you notes. We're going to introduce you to two people you probably haven't heard of, uh, and there's good reason for that. So we'll teach you some things about them. And while they're handing stuff out in all of our campuses, wanted to um, say something that I, I got a chance to be a part of our event Friday night. I don't know if any of you ladies attended that event. <laughs> very excited, very, it was, a, that is, that was, it was crazy. Um, ton of fun. We have a women's event every so often here called Women's Oikos Event and uh, incredible time to be here on the stage. Got to wear eyeliner. I don't really get to do that um, ever. Uh, that stuff's hard to take off, by the way. Um, my wife got a big kick out of that. Uh, very glad that you guys, I think some of the ladies actually are, are wooed earlier, are just still here from Friday night. They just haven't left because it was so good. Shalene was real good. Um, very wonderful to have her with us. And uh, the point uh, that she had is that God has, you know, designed you to like make a difference in this world and get outside of yourself. And it's fun because that's what we've been studying in a different way. She's got more caffeinated energy than we do. Um, but we've been studying that same idea across this summer uh, as we've been studying not so famous dead people and how God uses everyday average folks to make an, uh, a, a very unaverage difference in this world, to make extraordinary impacts in the world around us. And this weekend, we're going to take a look at two characters, Bezalel and Aholiab. You know them from the Christmas songs. Oh, Bezalel, oh, Bezalel, where is your friend, Aholiab? Um, not actually not famous at all. We're going to take a look. If you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus um, chapter 31 and 35. It, it really, these two individuals are nestled in this idea. As God moved his people out of bondage, out of captivity from Egypt, he was going to move them into the promised land. Um, that generation was going to have three challenges to their faith. One, they were going to be called by God to have this organized, uh, I guess, religious um, system. God was going to give them the law. It was going to be uh, uniquely expressed in the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, uh, but it was also going to be uh, articulated across the whole Levitical Code. God was going to teach them how to interact with each other and with Him. That was one of the hills that generation had to climb. Second hill they had to climb was they were going to construct a tabernacle, this system, this, this location for worship of their God. And then the third hill that they were going to have to take was going to be to enter the Promised Land, to leave captivity behind and set up a new home. And you guys know as well as I do that they wandered for 40 years because they didn't want to take that step and enter the promised land. They were intimidated and God said, I want a generation of faith to move in. So I'll let you wander. I'll let you play out your lives. But because you are choosing to be faithless and not be faithful, that's not going to be a hill you're going to take. Some other generation will take that hill. And the other two things did get accomplished. The receiving of the law and the construction of the tabernacle is the setting in which we meet these two individuals. In Exodus chapter 31 through the end of the book, through the 40th chapter, it really honestly just touches on a quick giving of the law from God to Moses. And, but the giant portion of it, the majority of those chapters are invested in describing how the tabernacle was going to be built. 
And so it's in that setting that we meet these um, individuals. And uh, let me explain something. Chapter 31, God wants to get that program started, okay? So he introduces the idea of the tabernacle. And then in chapter 32, um, we get to get this done so fast, Moses is going to go up a mountain and he's going to get the law. Well, I don't know if you've ever left your dogs home alone for more than like eight minutes, but they kind of freak out and they're like, I don't know if you're ever coming back again, so I ate the table. I'm sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> we love our dogs. Um, Moses tells the Israelites, I'm going to go get the law from God. I'll be right back. So in 32, he goes to do that. And when he comes back, the Israelites have freaked out and they've built for themselves the golden calf. Now, I know that that story is really bizarre in our culture because we don't worship things unless, of course, it's football, but we don't worship things in our culture. And so that story's almost comical. It's almost so unbelievable. Like what in the world is happening in the Bible? Think for just a minute. How long had they been out of Egypt? Could have been measured in weeks, okay? Um, And that environment that they were slaves to was the most organized, was the most skilled, it was the most wealthy, it was the most powerful. I mean, it it was the United States of America of that time. And the way people worshiped in Egypt was they worshiped objects, and so it makes a lot of sense to me that, you know, God says, okay, we're going we're gonna to build you a tabernacle so that you and I can communicate. And then Moses, come up and meet with me, and then I'm going to give you how you guys are going to relate. And then Moses comes back down, and they'd given up on it like in a heartbeat. They just immediately went back to their old life, and they built this, this golden calf, and Moses freaks out and throws down the tablet. So 32, 33, and 34 are an interruption. But we're going to read from Exodus 35 that God gets right back on track with his kids. And we are introduced to to these characters in Exodus 35, verse 30. Moses said to the Israelites, see, the Lord, did I not say the thing we're supposed to write down? Did I already say the thing we're supposed to write down? I don't even think I said the thing we're supposed to write down. Write this down. God has designed us to make an impact in this world. Okay. This is the introductory thought for this weekend. This is by far the most important thing that we can learn about these two individuals. Because as we're about to read, if I would do this the right way and not the wrong way, my bad. um, You're going to see that (laughs) this is everything that we know about these people is just this. This is all we've got. And it's all that we need to know. Now let's read from the scriptures. Exodus 35 verse 30. Moses said to the Israelites... See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Now you remember him, right? And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, knowledge, all kinds of skills. What does he do? Is he a preacher? Is he a priest? Is he a worship leader? Nope. He makes artistic designs for work in gold, silver, bronze, excuse me, bronze, (laughs) good work in here. It was a good run. Verse 33, he can cut and set stones. He works with wood and he can engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. Every word is terrifying to me right now. Every word. (laughs) 
So we meet Oholiab, and Oholiab is good at making things. He's a fabricator. He's a welder. He is, uh, he's, he's a, like the construction worker of his age. And the Bible says the Lord has called him. He set him aside. He carefully goes through what family, what tribe he's in, just in case there's another Bezalel that thought he was like, oh, I'm a good speaker. I'm a good worship leader. I'm a good organizer of people. No, I want the Bezalel that knows how to build stuff. That's the one I've chosen. And it's like, really? Like out of all the super special people in the whole host of who we are as, as, a, as a free group of, of Jewish new people, you want the construction worker Bezalel. Yep, that's the one I want. And there's actually another guy I've chosen too. And in verse uh, 34, it says, And he's given both him and Oholiab, son of Ahissamach, oh man, the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He's filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, scarlet yarn, fine linen, weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. Hey, I want Bezalel and I want Oholiab. Why? Well, because Bezalel can make stuff and, and, and Oholiab can make stuff. And by the way, they're so good at making stuff, they can teach others what to do. Well, but God... What, Out of all the glorious things we just saw happen in Egypt, out of this, this, I mean, I know the faith went all the way back to Adam and Eve, and I know that it got passed down, and when he called Abraham, there's this unique faith relationship that we would call a religion, and then Abraham passes it down to his son of promise, Isaac, and then Isaac has these two twins, and in a weird twist of fate, it's not the firstborn, but it's Jacob um, that gets the birthright, and Jacob has 12 sons, and those 12 sons now start to actually feel like a family of God, and those 12 sons are a family that moves into Egypt. They are not a people group. It's a family. They move into Egypt, but 400 years go by, and you can just barely, barely find a trace of any faith in that God. And now God says, I need Bezalel and Aholiab to help my generation, my people build faith. And you're going to build a very tangible object. It's going to be a tabernacle. It's going to be a center of worship. Because you're very used to watching everyone else around you in Egypt worship in an organized way. And it developed their convictions and it developed their direction and it developed in them this, this system. And by the way, it was all you know, um, wrapped up in the worship of an individual, the Pharaoh. And I want my people to have something different. And so I'm going to get a couple of guys who know how to do stuff. And they're going to express the faith that I want to be in my people through the construction of a tabernacle. It's going to be this really early, easy hill that I know you can climb. And as you climb that hill, same thing. It's why we have our kids join a sports team. We want them to learn things, right? Hard work, teamwork, winning, losing. That's why they do that. It's why we have them in after-school clubs. It's not that, you know, my son's in robotics. He's probably not going to grow up and build robots for a living. But it's teaching him how to creatively problem-solve and think outside the box and, you know, take direction. I mean... What God is going to have this generation do is God wants them to initiate faith. That's what he wants. And so Bezalel and Oholiab are these blue-collar individuals that are called onto the scene. And God says, I've got something for you guys that's going to capture the attention of all my people. Now, um, 
There are some fun Bible truths about these two individuals. Um, Bezalel comes from the tribe of Judah. Judah was um, one of the important tribes because of the lineage all the way back to Jacob. Jacob is the dad who had these 12 sons who became the 12 tribes. Judah was an important tribe, would be an important tribe afterwards as well. So it'd be easy to swallow that if there was some like divine, like important task that someone from that tribe would be called to it. And then there was Dan. Dan was one of the sons of one of the concubines. Not as important. In a pecking order world, Dan was down. Judah was up. Dan was not important. Judah was. So Bezalel, important. Oholiab, no. But God says, I want you both involved in this because I want to speak to all my people. And so representatives from both ends of the spectrum will participate in this. And as Bezalel and Oholiab work to construct the tabernacle, their work is a redemptive contrast to what they had done in Exodus 32, 33, 34. They had really quickly bailed on, on God and they built something else and they wanted to go back to it. And when God calls us away from our past, it is the grace of God that he calls us into something that is good, that is divine, that is worth giving your energy to. And so Bezalel and Oholiab are also a righteous and redemptive contrast to the building of the golden calf. And the third thing that's really cool is that they, guys, their skill set was possibly, I'm going to say probably, it was probably developed when they were still in their old life in captivity in Egypt. And a lot of us discount everything about our past, and it's really easy for us to think that we're insignificant in the kingdom of God, because while well, I didn't, you know, get raised in a white picket fence Christian family, and I didn't, I wasn't a choir boy, and I didn't go off to Bible college, and I didn't this, I, man, I, I grew up in a real regular family, and I've got a real regular job, and a very regular skill set, and God doesn't use people like me, it's, except like this exactly, that God uses real regular people with very ordinary skill sets that have drastically different pasts, but a lot of it was rooted in their own past and captivity. And God says, those are exactly the individuals that I want to influence the construction of my temple. This important hill they're going to take. This is all we know about them. I mean, I know I'm talking a lot, but one, we learned that they have skills. You can write that down in your notes. Bezalel and Oholiab, they had skills. If you wanted to Facebook stalk these guys and learn as much as you could about them, this passage tells you as much as we know. And the second thing is this. They could help others. Here's the list of why they were important. I hope you, I want you to memorize it. I want you to learn it in Hebrew. I want you to learn it in Greek. I, I want you to alphabetize. This is it. They had a skill and they could help others learn that skill too. And if you can fit in this list... You could be in this story if that was your generation. That could, have been, that could have been us, but it wasn't. Our culture identifies other things um, uh, as to why we are important or purposeful. Important in our culture is are you really good looking, really ridiculously good looking? Are you rich? Are you famous? Or are you powerful? And usually the people in our world that we all take note of as important are probably honestly two of those things. Actors are you know, good looking and famous and maybe kind of throw in rich. Um, politicians are powerful and famous. You usually don't make a list of important in our culture if you don't hit two of those four categories. And so we've already decided ahead of time that the culture is going to tell us through news outlets 
and media and magazines and websites. We're going to elevate who's important. And we're just going to keep celebrating round and round and round those four traits in different combinations. Are you really good looking? Are you really rich? Are you really powerful? Are you really famous? And we get told all the time, those people are important. And because we're told they aren't, we understand we're not. And we don't cry in our milk about it, but we get it. And then as a people of faith, we gather together for church. And this is true at our church and for others as well. That the way we've organized church for centuries, by the way, is that we communicate things about God and then we go out to our lives to try and be obedient in those things. That's the way we do it. But the way we do it is a group of people comes in and they watch very few individuals talk about it or sing about it and then we all leave again. And it's really easy for it to feel like there's a pecking order in God's kingdom too. That the people up front that do the talking are the important ones and the rest of us aren't because we've already identified who is. And we don't cry in our milk about it, but it kind of can subtly teach that same truth. That there are importance and there are not. And one of the important things about the lives of Bezalel and Aholiab is it blows up the idea that there's very few important people. Because God had designed them in a very particular way. It says, I mean, the only things we know about him is Bezalel could work with his hands and Oholiab could work with fabrics. And they were going to be able to help other people do a great job building God's tabernacle. And that was good enough for God. It was this specific way they were created. And it feels like our area is very normal. Um, it, it feels like uh, the Victor Valley is, I mean, you know, God has trapped us. We can't even go down the pass anymore because there's, you know... <laughs> And, and so it's like, well, you know, we're just a bunch of blue-collar folks living in a very blue-collar area, and you know, we're not even allowed to leave anymore, and this is what God has for us, and I guess that's that. And you know, thank goodness that my church has some bands and Pastor Tom, and they've got enough important people, and I'll go watch, but you know, I don't know if I'm that important. Um, God has designed leaders, and that's part of the way churches are organized, but uh, we do our, our job best when we're able to describe and able to motivate people to understand that there's a work of God in you and there's an incredible potential for the work of God through your life. Even if all you have is a skill and you could help someone else do it. I mean, that's the whole list of things we've learned about them. You read the same Bible I did. But it's just that important is different in God's economy. Now, the second cool thing is they have a very clear purpose. Now, if you're um, an engineer or, or, you know, builder, you know that you don't put things in a machine unless they have a purpose. The car I drive, the car you drive, the microwave that you heat, you know, your leftovers up in, everything that, that is in that is a very clear purpose. And Apple, a few years ago, became obsessed that every piece wouldn't just have a purpose, but that every piece in that design, in that you know, computer or phone or tablet, whatever it was going to be, was going to compel people. We all had cell phones before we got iPhones. I mean, do you remember the Nokia phone? It kind of was like square to the top. It kind of like moved down. And then they had the keys. You could play Snake on it. That was a fun. I mean, that was fun. And we could, we could make phone calls from them. And we could send a text message. It took like 17 times longer. Because if you missed the letter, you'd have to go around the horn and come back to R, you know. But, but we had phones. But Apple decided that they would obsess. They would obsess over every element of that phone would be more purposeful than, well, it's a, it's a, 
It's a key. It's a case. It's a screen. No, it's going to be sleeker, slimmer, sexier than anything else. And in that way, we'll capture the attention of the people around us. And when they obsessed over that purpose, then all of a sudden, it caught the attention of an awful lot of people. And they've made like hundreds of dollars about that as well. And the difference between the world around us and and what God would call us to in embracing our very simple, maybe blue collar skill set is that there's a purpose behind it and there's a purpose to you and when the world just wants to keep chasing the the trait that is nearest them and if you're young it's easy to chase well you know what it's maybe easy for me in this stage of life to be good looking so I'm going to chase that when you get a little older you start to be better at your job you know it'd be easy for me to chase money and I'll chase that and you know maybe as you get older you start to try and woo a little bit of influence in whatever arena of life you're in and I mean honestly when I say these things it sounds silly but in like AYSO or in the you know the parent association at school or whatever it is and we start to chase these things down I, my kids and I love summer evenings in the desert we just love it it's like a nice cool 94 degrees and the sun's going down and we can hang out in the backyard and I know this might sound weird to you but we love bats like my girls get a kick out of them my boys love them and not even for cool reasons like Batman just like we like bats and if you've ever watched a bat fly it looks like an emaciated drunk bird flying for its life in a direction it hasn't decided on yet it's like making it up as it goes and when you watch a bat fly it's this crazy haphazard and then you watch a bird fly and a bird flies with so much like intention and grace it's you've got to be thinking that birds are judging bats right like what are they doing that's embarrassing why did god give them wings too like we've got our act together and in my opinion the this first point is that god has designed us to make an impact in the world you've You've got to decide ahead of time that you're going to stop letting those four traits be important. And, and you, if you want to grab on to purpose, I, I know it sounds like a Homer thing to say in church, but you will live your life with a lot more grace, a lot more intentionality. You'll be a lot less haphazard in how you go about things. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'd love it if magically I woke up tomorrow good looking and rich. I mean, that'd be awesome. But what I can do is I can say, God, what do you have for my life this year? What is my age, my kid's stage of life, my work demands, the you know, state of my marriage? And with all that working together, God, what could you do with my life this year? What have you designed for me? Because, it, well, because of the second thing. Would you like, love for you to write this down? Because there's a lot to be done. The generation of Jews had hills to take. They could step into God's law, they could construct God's tabernacle, and they could move into their permanent forever home. They could do those things. And it was a lot for one generation, and they, they didn't hit all three, they did two. And God um, explains what needed to be done, at least in this area of the tabernacle, in Exodus 31. Verses 7 through 11, God says this. I've given ability to all skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you. And here's what it is. The tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant law with the atonement cover on it, all the other furnishing of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, all its utensils, the basin with its stand, also the woven garments, both the sacred garments 
garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I commanded you. Isn't that a fun passage from the Bible? It's a list. It's all it is. I don't know if you've ever been to um, like Housewife Mecca, Ikea, but it's this fun place where you go and they've got all these wonderful, cool little rooms, perfectly decorated, not messed up by kids, clean, and like, oh, it's so nice. And you go down to the basement and you get a box. It's like three and a half inches tall, 80 feet deep. And then you load it somehow into your car, you bring it home and you're able to slide out the one Allen wrench that's going to put the whole thing together. And then the instructions and you open up the first page is everything that's in that box. And somehow all these scattered things are going to be this beautiful bookshelf or entertainment center or whatever it is that you bought. And you're looking at the set of instructions and you're like, doggone it, Sweden. How am I going to build a whole bookshelf with one Allen wrench? And you just keep looking over and over and over and over and you're like, all right, I know what it's going to take. It's going to take me literally looking back and forth. Where's this one thing? Okay, I found that one thing. What's the thing I put it next to? Okay, I found that other thing. And it's work. I mean, that's what it takes. And what's cool is chapter 31 and then 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, and 40. You put together those, what, six or seven chapters. And there are 15 verses that talk about the two guys that God has gifted to build the tabernacle. 15 verses. And then um, 171 of the verses are exactly like this. It's a list. It's a list of all the work that needed to be get done. And I appreciate the fact that the scriptures and that God is really straightforward with me because the culture around me wants to celebrate celebrity and like individuals. Oh, they're so cool and they're so awesome. and They're awesome. Woo. And God's like, okay, you know what? There are people that I've gifted and there are people that I've called and I'm going to use your past. I'm going to use your present to do something awesome in your future. But you know, we've got some stuff we've got to do. And I'll describe in 15 verses who I've called and then 171 verses are going to talk through what we got to do. It's a lot. I mean, it's just a list and just work through the list. If you could put it all up on the screen, we need to build a tent an ark, a covering for that, some furnishings for that. We need a table. We need stuff for the table. We need a lampstand. We need stuff for the lampstand. We need an altar for the incense, an altar for burnt offerings. Um, because you don't want your incense and your burnt offerings together. It would smell awful. We want um, utensils for that altar. We need a basin. We should put the basin on a stand. We should get some garments for the high priest. We need some garments for the other priest because they're different than the high priest. It's a list. 171 verses a list. I would love to read them all to you. So tonight, come back and for three hours. No, we're not. It's, God is just being straightforward and saying, you know what? It's awesome to be called by me, but you know what's also important? Diligent obedience. And a lot of us dream about doing great things for God. And then when we're given the opportunity to say, hey, do you want to serve this year? No, I'm just waiting for God to do something awesome through my life. That's it. Diligent obedience is it. That's where the work of God, this generation said, put it on my back, we'll get it done. And so I picked one team, one little team at HDC, and I just want to give you a list of some of the things that are on their back every single year. The productions team here at HDC takes care of all the support elements for a service that we're in. So if you're in a service right now, they've provided, matter of fact, 520 services every year. And that's just for adults. They support kids, they support students, but just us, okay? 
520 a year. And then don't forget the fact that every single week we got rehearsals. So we've got somewhere between 150 and honestly somewhere between 150 and 250 rehearsals a year. Um, but I didn't want to exaggerate, so I'm keeping it down. Um, we've got women's events like Friday night, and we've got men's events like a couple of weekends ago that they run rehearsals for, they set up for, they run during the time of, I can't even keep up, Christmas Eve. We've got like 8 million Christmas Eve services every year. I don't know if you've been to some of those. Um, they do trainings on top of that. What else do you guys do? Student events, because our youth pastors are crazy and they want kids to have a great time and memorable experiences in their walk with God. So they, we do conferences, that's right, I appreciate that. And by the way, at all of these things, graduations, I'm forgetting stuff. At all these things, there's lighting teams, there's sound teams, there's video teams. So really you take that whole list and you triple it because it's naive to just think that we just come in and push a button. That's crazy. And this is just one team. And it's easy for us to forget that there are teams that work with our babies. There are teams that work with toddlers. Teams that work with elementary, junior high, high school. There are teams, um, we've got dozens of folks in our church, um, hundreds of folks in our church, that open up their homes and host small groups. Like, come have a safe place once a week to talk about your faith. We've got hundreds of people in our church that lead small groups. We've got people in our church that are on campus security teams to keep our campuses low-key and safe to come onto. We've got health teams on every campus. We've got parking lot teams on our campuses. Our mobile campuses, we've got teams that get there ridiculously early to set up and stay way too late to tear down. We've got teams that ush and greet people. We've got teams all over, and it's really easy for us to get duped into the idea that church is something I watch, and then if I'm a spectator at church, I slip into the realm of critic in a heartbeat, because if I'm not contributing, I'm critiquing. That's what I do. Oh, I didn't like the worship band this week. Oh, they didn't do my favorite song. Oh my gosh, where's Tom? Is it Tim again? Like, it's easy to think, yeah, I know. (laughs) I think the same thing. And it's easy to turn church into a spectator sport. And when that happens, it's easy for your faith to be acting and not like following. And so, I I mean, there's a lot to be done. It's just that God has got this awesome calling for us. And that we can, that we would change the valley in our lifetime. Like you don't got to change it after your lifetime. You'll be dead and stuff. And that's fine. But in our lifetime, we've got a calling that will change this valley And we've got giant dreams, and so we need giant teams to do giant things. I mean, that's just the way it is. And that's okay because of the last thing I want you to write down. We've got giant teams to do giant things, and it's all right because we have enough to do it. You see, there are actually three topics in the last 10 chapters of Exodus. There's some people that God called to do it. There's all the instructions Uh, There's, you know, on on how to get it done. And then there's like 30 or 32 verses, I think, now I'm forgetting, on all the things that God gave his people to make it happen. You remember when they came out of Egypt, God said, hey, by the way, on your way out, ask your neighbors for some of their stuff and they're going to give it to you. And you're like, why would you take gold hoop earrings camping, you know, like, because it wouldn't look cute. No, it's like, why would God have them like load up on stuff if they were going to spend 40 years camping? Well, because of all the things that he was going to call them to. In verse, or, uh, verse 4 of chapter 35, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, from what I gave you, from what you walked out with, take an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is willing to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, or bronze, do it. 
blue, purple, scarlet yarn, do it. Fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red. Next week, we're going to take an offering. Bring all your goat hair, okay? No, don't. (laughs) Ram skins, dyed red, and other types of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for light, spices for the anointing oil, for fragrant incense, onyx stones, other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. Man, it is so wonderful that God says, you know why I've given you so much stuff? Because we're ready as a generation to do what I've called you to. We're ready. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says at one point Moses said, stop bringing stuff, we're good. Everything that God's called us to, you've provided for. And so keep the rest of your stuff, it's fine. Can you imagine that? Like, wow, that's really cool that the people would be so moved that they, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just trying to be clear. And I'm not, hey, we don't need anything else for Point Discovery. We're done with that. And this campus is ready to rock. And hopefully God can grow our church well enough that we can start to either investing in other communities that our church is in, like Barstow, or figuring out what we can do permanently in Apple Valley and Phelan. Or like, what can we continue to do with missionaries around the world? And like, hey, we're good. We're going to go do something else. Like, that's really awesome. And it's what happened, at least there. And we're just crazy enough to believe that God has given us enough too. And, you know, I'm not trying to, I I hope I'm not coming across as guilting anybody. It's just that this weekend in church, there are 5,000 adults listening to what's going on. And that's enough. Like, we can get a whole lot of things done this year. Matter of fact, I'd love to introduce you to four of them. These are four individuals that live here in our desert, work regular jobs, but they serve on our teams. And I'd like to just introduce you to them to now. I am a choir teacher, music teacher. I teach at the high school, and I teach grades 9 through 12. I worked for an oncology practice up here. Dr. Nanda's in the high desert for 11 and a half years. I'm a special education teacher at Apple Valley High School. For a living, I move uh, dirt and haul heavy equipment. The fun of my job, believe it or not, is the impact that I have on students here. Watching land turn from raw land into something that you can build on. Being able to provide comfort and support to the patients and to be able to give them that hope. Being a part of these students and seeing their growth and their placement outside of just high school is actually pretty good. I serve on the Victorville Praise Team. What I love about worship arts is how I am able to impact people and touch their hearts. It's not even about how well I sing, but that I bless them that particular day they were going through something. I serve in high school ministries, being able to see them submit to what God has for life and let God inject into their life what he has made them to be. I worked at trying to help maintain the, the safety of all of our family members that attended church and allow them to be able to come to church and have the services be uninterrupted. At the Apple Valley campus, I help with the teardown crew, uh, arranging the classrooms back into order after the student ministry is done. If I can just kind of help function that and use that as the means for people to get involved in God and the church, then that's what I'm here to do. Times you think you're going to go serve and you're going to uh, be able to you know, love on these kids and, and just make a huge difference in life. It seems like I always come back with them making a difference in my life. Uh, during the week, I work in a vocational nursing program. During the week, I teach special education students. During the week, I teach kids, but on the weekend, I change lives. And on the weekends, I change lives. And on the weekends, I get to change the world. For a living, I move dirt, but on Wednesday nights, I change lives. I mean, I told you about Bezalel and Oholiab, everything I know. They could make stuff and they could help people. And then I told you about four of my friends 
that they do stuff and they help people. And that's the invitation to all of us this weekend is that we would walk out of our services and all of our campuses and walk out to opportunities right now. And I understand that you don't have to be on a church roll call to be investing in the lives of people. I get that. But gosh, if you're wondering where in the world you'd fit, it'd be a great way to answer this last question that we'll close with. In what role will God use you to change the world this year? We'd love to help you figure that out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. God, thank you for the opportunity to read in your word. On our own, like if we hadn't stopped to think about it, there'd be two guys that made stuff and there'd be all 170 verses about a list of things to do. And it'd be awfully boring. But Father, when we slow down, you're really good with us to teach us that there's a lot of things that that generation had to do for you. And God, it's, it's easy in our culture to just want to celebrate individuals, watch the important people and the rest of us. We just kind of fade to the background. But God, be gracious with us, clear with us. And Father, I pray that you'd call us into an, a team this year that we could invest in to make a difference for you. God, we would love to do great things for you. And Father, I pray that you'd build great teams to do it. And so help us, even at the individual level, to maybe find our place, our role, this year to bring glory to your name. In your name we pray. Amen.